You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. You could argue that the greatest or probably the most powerful film, if you're into films, of 2021 last year was a film called Minari. Minari, is anybody familiar with it? It's an overlooked film. Great, this is perfect. Minari. This film tells the story of a Korean immigrant family's journey from California to rural Arkansas. Shout out to the Hamiltons over here. Chris is from Arkansas. Awesome. But they come to Arkansas, this Korean immigrant family, for a new start, a new life, to chase the American dream. The dad, Jacob is his name, they have two, two kids and the wife, uh, as a family of four, they journey out and he convinces his family, we're going to move to Arkansas to start a farm. And he moves his entire family from California to this semi-truck that's fitted out to be a mobile home in rural Arkansas. He says, here is the most fertile ground in all of the United States. And here, we're going to grow Korean vegetables. And we're going to sell them to Korean vendors across the major cities. And we're going to, in a sense, accomplish the American dream. We're going to make it. And so the story traces this family and its history. And this dream does not come without obstacles. First, they have to get kind of everyday jobs to make ends meet. And so they get a job at a chicken hatchery where they're separating everyday male and female chicks. Uh, Their son, his name's David, he has a heart condition where the mom constantly worries about him because he's constantly worried that uh, his heart's going to fail and they're going to have to get serious help at a hospital. They're not near one. They're in the middle of nowhere. They need help during the day while they're working, so they invite their grandma from Korea to move all the way out to rural Arkansas to watch the kids during the day. Uh, They finally start growing some crops. They build their own well. Everything seems to be going really awesome, but the well dries up. And now they're going to have to use expensive city water. And everything, in a sense, is going against them. But at the end of the film, and I'm going to give you a bunch of spoilers today, so don't worry, you can go watch it later and correct if you think that I'm not portraying it right. But at the end of the film, as everything's going against them, they travel to Oklahoma City with their first harvest. These crops that they had seen grow from the very ground. They had spent all these months preparing. And finally, they find a vendor a Korean vendor who did, agrees to buy their harvest. Like they're, they're doing it. They're accomplishing the American dream. It is happening. Like you're almost celebrating as you're watching the film all the obstacles they've had to overcome to lead to this moment of finally somebody's going to buy their crops. At the same time, they get really good news while they're in the city that their son's heart condition is a lot better. He's, he's going to get better. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is coming together. It's, it's amazing. You're so excited, and there's still some conflict between the marriage, between business and family, but things are coming together, and they begin their long drive home in the dark with this good news that finally someone is going to buy, buy their crops. Finally, they're going to make it. When they pull up to their house, they see a fire. The entire barn where all of their harvested crops stood were up in flames. It's this unbelievable scene. You're like, your jaw drops as you're watching the movie. Like all of their dreams are dashed in that moment. The, the father tries to run in and grab some crops. He can't do it. The mother tries to run and grab some crops. She can't do it. What had happened was the grandma had been left behind and she had suffered a stroke earlier in the film. 
and she went to uh, burn some, uh, some trash in a, in a uh, barrel. I guess that's normal in Arkansas. <laughs> I didn't know that. They burned some, and the, the barrel flipped over. And the fire ran from the hay to the barn, and the entire barn comes to the ground. Like, what just happened? Like, w- w- there's no, there was no resolution. W- w- what happened? Today, you're going to probably hear the strangest Easter sermon because we're in the strangest of the four Gospels. And you're going to probably wonder, as we look at this passage, what in the world just happened? Not only Good Friday where this king that was supposed to rule over the world dies, but now on this passage in Easter Sunday, which you probably never heard a sermon on, at least on Easter, because no one likes to teach on it. Mark chapter 16. You're going to leave going, what, what happened? It ends abruptly. It's an unfinished story in many ways. You don't know how to make sense of it. And yet, I think there's something really powerful and profound about maybe what God wants to say to you today through these eight verses in the Gospel of Mark. And how even as the barn burns down and things are broken to pieces, there's this sliver of hope that rises. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 16 today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be going kind of verse by verse through a couple of uh, the verses there at the end of that gospel, gospel of Mark. And we're going to kind of answer the question of what do we do with what just happened? And see this strange ending that unfolds in Mark. Mark is known as being the master of surprise. And so the three questions I want to process today are these. One, do you resonate with the women we're going to see in the story? Do you resonate with the women? Two, do you remember what time it is? Do you remember what time it is? And three, how will you respond? How will you respond? Do you resonate with the women? Do you remember what time it is? And three, how will you respond? Let's look at verse one. Mark chapter 16, verse one. It says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. These women have been following Jesus for close to three years now. All their hopes have been dashed as he was crucified and killed and put as a dead body in a grave. And so they just accept reality. It is what it is. And so what do they do, which is the custom of the day? They get some spices and some perfumes, and they go to take that to the body so they might help with the stench that will begin to rise from this decomposing body of Jesus. It is what it is. Let's just just accept reality. Here's that first question. Do you resonate with the women sometimes, at least? Hey, it is what it is. Just accept reality. Do you resonate with their fatalism? Their, their lack of hope. It just is what it is. Just, just accept reality. Maybe this morning you're really lonely and you've been lonely for a really long time and you've tried to enter in relationships with others and they never reciprocate in the way that you want them to. And you go over and over again hoping that this next friend that I make, this will actually solve the loneliness that I feel deep in my bones. But it doesn't. So you just accept reality. It is what it is. I'm just going to look for experiences and little pleasures I can have to deal with the loneliness that I carry. 
Or maybe you're in a marriage that's an absolute mess. And you've tried for a long time to rectify it and to fix it. And it just feels like over and over again, you just fall into the same pattern. You feel like you can't get out of the cycle. It is what it is. Just accept reality. The goal is just to become cordial roommates for the rest of our years together. Or maybe you're stuck in some kind of crippling, deforming pattern of sin that dehumanizes you, maybe dehumanizes others, that makes you less than what God made you to be. And you find yourself in a cycle where you're doing good, you fall into this pattern, you experience shame and condemnation, you go into hiding, the hiding leads you more into the same sin, and it goes over and over and over and over again. You can't get out. You just feel stuck. You just accept reality. It is what it is. Maybe you feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with your body, whether disease or disability. Your body's not working as it was made to work, and you carry this overwhelming shame. Gosh, I wish it was different, and yet I wake up every morning to the same reality of the body that I've been given and the way it doesn't work how it should be. It is what it is, so you just accept reality. Or the world. Turn on the news for a couple of days over the last couple of months, maybe the last couple of years, whether it's war or violence, refugees, mass shootings, over a million people dead with coronavirus, a pandemic, the toxic political nature of our world. It is what it is. You just accept reality. There's nothing to hope for. Here's the question to wrestle with, like these women in the story. Do you gather your spices to cover up the stench of dead things in your life? That you just, uh, there's no hope. There's no, there's no uh, hope for something actually good to happen. So I'm just going to do what I know, which is take perfume and spices like these women to go cover up the stench of something that's dead. Where are you looking for temporary relief rather than fundamental change? I'm going to go to this consumer good or this experience to deal with this deep pain and ache that I feel, whether loneliness or I'm stuck in a pattern of sin or I look at the world or my body's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm just going to find some temporary relief. I'm just going to put some perfume and spices over this dead thing in my life, hoping that maybe something good would happen, but really just accepting it as it is. Just sit with that for a moment. What are, you, what are you trying to attend to in your life with perfume and spices over something that maybe is dead? Just say, ah, it is what it is. Let's continue reading. Verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were there on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Last year, we added a federal holiday to our national calendar. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's called Juneteenth. Coming up here pretty soon, it's June 19th every year. 
And here's, if you're not familiar with this, this is what it celebrates. Every year, Juneteenth celebrates the news that the last of those who were enslaved in our country around 1865 heard the news of the Emancipation Proclamation from Abraham Lincoln. Here's the crazy thing. The Emancipation Proclamation went out in 1863. It took almost 2.5 years for the Union soldiers to travel to Texas, Galveston Bay, to give them the news that they were free. 250,000 enslaved in Texas alone for two and a half years had no idea the proclamation had gone out. This event that happened before had massive implications for how they were to live in the present, especially for African Americans in our country that had implications for generations to come. What Mark is trying to do here slyly in verse 2 is he says this, if you noticed, he said, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, what Mark's trying to slyly say is that something has fundamentally changed on this first day of the week. This is a week like no other week. That what happened on that morning, Sunday morning, would change history forever. And for you, 2,000 years later, that event that took place has massive implications like those who were enslaved in Texas for who you are today and what your identity is. What Mark's trying to say is that new creation has dawned. That when Jesus rose from the grave, new creation broke in. The hope in the story was always, if you've been trying with us the last couple of days, if you've been in the story of God, and if you're, if you're not familiar with that, we've been as a church traveling through the story from creation to restoration the last three days. And the hope is always at the end of the story, God would make everything right and good and beautiful and perfect again. But the mystery of Easter is that what was supposed to happen in the future has invaded the present. And that now, 2,000 years later, we have this great hope, this unbelievable hope, that what Jesus did on Easter morning has implications for you today. And so as you sit in that question of do you resonate with the women and wondering if there's cynicism and fatalism, is there anything to hope for? The answer is here. Do you remember what day it is? Do you remember what time it is that this event that happened in the past, like Juneteenth, has massive implications for you and me today? Everything's changed. The core of our story of Christianity is what the angel says in the story. He says, you're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Go and see the tomb where he laid and then go and tell I've been thinking all week uh, about the resurrection. We hold as a tradition, as a church, that Jesus physically rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. And I was thinking all week, I could, ar I could argue and give you some good convincing proofs of why that's true. And let me give you a 15-minute monologue about all the ways that I think it's true that Jesus physically rose from the grave and why that's significant. But here's the beauty. We don't have an argument to solve the problems of the cruel world, we have a story. We have a story. And this is simply what it is. Jesus was the king of the world. In the great twist of the story, he died. And in his death, he took on the wrath and the curse and the brokenness of the world upon himself so that you wouldn't have to carry that. But three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave physically. He defeated sin and death. You no longer enslaved to the things that crippled you once before. You've been offered new life. 
And he's inviting you, hey, come and take my yoke. Come and take what it means to follow me and be part of my kingdom. Because in my kingdom, you are forgiven. You are healed. You belong. You have a new identity. That's, that's, the, that's the truth. And I could give you all these different ways to try to prove that. But that's the story. We have a story to make sense of our world, not just a bunch of arguments. And it's a story here that the angel tells us Jesus was dead and he rose from the grave. And his body, his resurrected body, is the first fruits. It's the first sign of what he'll do with all of creation, you and me and the entire world. He'll redeem and restore all things as they were made to be. So do you resonate with the women? But do you remember what time it is? And then lastly, will you respond to the event? Will you respond? Let's read the last part of our story. It says this in verse 7. It says, But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Done. End of story. You might have in your Bible a couple of smaller print uh, words that come afterwards. Most people believe that just was added later on. This is how Mark ends his gospel. Listen to that again. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going to go ahead of you. And then what do they do? Uh, Don't worry, women. Women are portrayed really well in the rest of the gospels. Maybe not as well right here, but the men really fail worse than all four. So this isn't a knock on women at all. But look at what they did. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What? Like, that's it. That's, that's how the story closes. This isn't a Disney ending here. Sometimes you might get stuck in having a recurring dream. Or if you experience some form of trauma in your life, you feel like you can't get out of the cycle, like you're stuck in gear. And you constantly re- replay the story over and over again. It's like on your, uh, if you have an Apple computer, the rainbow wheel of death. You know what I'm talking about? It feels like you're just stuck in that spot and you just keep on going back to the same thing, same thing and over again. Why do you do that? Why do our bodies keep replaying the same thing over and over and over and over again? Why do I keep having the same dream or the same nightmare? Or why do I keep on thinking about the same experience over and over and over? Why can't I just move past it? Because your body, and this is what trauma does, is an unfinished story. And your body's trying to figure out, how do I finish this story? How do I make sense of it? How do I integrate it so I could move forward? It's an unfinished story. And here, very much, we have an unfinished story. That's how Mark intended it to be. He doesn't wrap it up in a nice bow and say, oh, and then they went out and told the disciples, and the whole world heard the good news, and everyone responded, and everything was great, and no one ever struggled again, and there was no pain or suffering. He just says the women left, and they were afraid, and they told nobody. What? What? How do you make sense of that? What I think Mark is trying to do for you and me is he's trying to offer us to, in a sense, finish the gospel, finish this passage for you to respond. Will you respond to the story you just heard that Jesus died and rose from the grave? Will you respond appropriately? Will you actually finish the story? He's inviting you in to participate. The question for you and me is, 
are you going to see today, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, that these events, Jesus' death and resurrection, these events that happened so long ago are the central events of everything that you are as a human. Of everything about your identity, your purpose, your value, they're the only things that can hold the weight of all of those questions. Are these events central to your life or will you leave like the women trembling in fear and hiding? That's, that's the opportunity before us this morning. As you think about maybe how you should respond, maybe for the first time or the hundredth time, I want to give you two pieces of encouragement as I lead us to the table here. The first thing is this. Notice it says in verse 7, but go tell his disciples, even Peter, or and Peter, and Peter. Most uh, people could uh, have translated that as saying even Peter. If you know the story of the gospel, Peter betrays Jesus three times. He acts as if he never knew who Jesus was. The good news of this story is that if you feel like you've betrayed or you sit in condemnation or shame, the good news is even for you and for me, even Peter, the one who betrayed Jesus, who was, I'm sure, wallowing in his shame and defeat, that he had turned his back on his good friend and Lord, that even you are invited to the table. Even you are invited to respond. And maybe your condemnation shame actually prevents you from responding appropriately. Maybe that's you. The second liberating piece of news here as we think about our response is I want to connect with the movie I told you earlier. So I forgot to tell you, there's actually one final scene of the movie Minari. And I'm really going to spoil it for you now. But this is Easter Sunday, so everything's been spoiled because Jesus has rose from the grave and he's disrupted it all. It's still a good movie, so go watch it. At the end of the movie, the very last scene is the kids all sleeping in the semi-truck. And the barn has burned down. There's no hope. Well, what happens is, is the very, uh, they cut to a next scene, and they're by this riverbank that was on their property. Well, earlier in the story, Grandma had planted this plant called Minari, this Korean vegetable. And she had planted just a couple small seeds by this garden bed. And they go down there, the son and the dad, and they see that now this plant has spread everywhere. The crazy thing about Minari, it's just the most adaptive, resilient plant. It can grow in the harshest of circumstances. It can grow really much anywhere. And the cool thing about Minari is that it actually dies in the first season of its life, but then raises from the dead and produces this crop that's a hundredfold. And Minari, it brings flavor and seasoning to any meal in Korean culture. It's the most staple food It permeates all of the culture. I wonder if Jesus was part of Korean culture and grew up in South Korea, he would say something like, the kingdom of God is like a minari seed that someone planted in a field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, it grows and expands. Even after it dies at the first season, it will not stop growing and it will bring flavor and seasoning to every meal. This is the picture of the kingdom. The women left and didn't tell anybody, but you are evidence today that the kingdom advances no matter what. No matter how you respond today, the kingdom moves forward. 
God continues to reconcile and restore people to himself. And one day he'll redeem and restore his whole creation. He's not even, uh, he, he's not even uh, sidestepped by any of the lack of decision we make. He continues forward like that Minari seed that grows everywhere and covers the whole space. He will not be stopped. The kingdom will not stop. And you are evidence today that even as the women left in fear, and you could leave today in fear too, the kingdom will still go. You will still be invited. You will still have opportunity to respond. He will still offer you invitation that actually you can come and experience the love and kindness and forgiveness of the king. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. Because as you think about your response, it's real simple what we can do today to respond to this good news. That in your fatalism and despair, you have unbelievable hope because new creation has dawned. And unlike the women, you can actually respond today and finish the story. That instead of leaving in fear and trembling, you can actually say, which we're gonna say in a second, that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again, which we say every week. Instead of leaving in fear and trembling and hiding, you can walk forward to the table and receive from the King, receive his body and his blood. And if you're just joining with us for Easter today, it's a special moment for today because we've been fasting from the table for the last six weeks. We've been fasting, trying to reorient our hearts to the significance that we have forgiveness, we have a new identity. We have belonging that Jesus invites everyone, regardless of status, regardless of where they come from, to come and feast with him at the, with the, at the table with the king. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to say with me, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. To end the gospel a different way. To end the gospel different than the women ended it. With the hope that that is true and that has implications for your entire life. So in a moment, would you say that with me? And then, would you respond by coming forward to receive from the king? And would you keep the elements in your hands, the body, the bread, and the juice, the wine, as we'll take it all together to close our service today. Kids, you guys are welcomed as well to the table. They're walking over now. Parents, if you want to grab your kids as they come and bring them to the table. But hold on to your elements, and we'll do it. We'll take them all together. So it's on your handout. If you can't remember those three phrases, that's totally okay. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And then you can start forming a line over here and work your way around. Take your time, and we'll receive from the King. So would you say it with me? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come to the table. <laughs>